I have the distinct honor of introducing our distinguished guest speaker, Major General Retired Kirk Fuller. He serves as the Deputy Commanding General of I-Corps. He served as the Deputy Commanding General of U.S. Forces and NATO Operation Officer in Afghanistan. He was the commander of the 25th Infantry Division in Hawaii and uh, Deputy Commanding General of both the U.S. Special Operation Command and the 82nd Airborne Division. He uh, commanded a battalion in the 10th Mountain Division, a brigade in the 82nd Airborne Division. He also served both as the operation officer and the chief of staff of the Joint Special Operation Command. The general also participated in operations in Grenada, Panama, Haiti, Kosovo, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And he is educated. He holds a, a master's in strategic intelligence from the Army War College and a, ba a bachelor's of science and bi biology. His awards and decorations include the Distinguished Service Medal. That's the nation's third highest award with the uh, Oakleaf Cluster. The, uh, the Defense Superior Service Medal with the Oak Leaf Cluster, the Army Superior Service Medal, the Legion of Merit with two Oak Leaf Clusters, five Bronze Stars, and a Purple Heart. But how many of you guys know his greatest honor is that he's a child of the King? And, And, and from that, there is no retirement. And so we served together in 2nd Ranger Battalion. And I just remember a, a few months ago, or months ago, Pastor Mark, had, uh, he sent me a voice text or maybe he even called and said, hey, I got this General Fuller coming in town for a luncheon, and he wanted to invite to uh, see if I would join. And when he mentioned the name, I said, well, I served with two Fullers. One of them made general and one didn't, but they both were brothers. I said, do you know his first name? And he said, well, I didn't get his first name. But anyway, I thought Pastor was luring me in to be the, the boy to go get the lunch and set it out on the table. Of course, I don't mind doing that. But as I was uh, coming through the back door, loading the food up to bring it into the conference room, I heard this voice, and you know, when you work in the Ranger Regiment and you work with people for a period of time, it can be uh, three foots up a bull's butt. If you hear that noise, you know who they are, right? And he said, uh, hey, I'm looking for a Mark Coward, and when I heard that voice, <laughs> boom, I said, General, he said, sure, <laughs> right? And that's where that connection came from, right? And so uh, I have to give him some kind of flashbacks before he come up. So, sir, the first stands of the Ranger Creek is recognizing that I volunteer as a Ranger, fully knowing the hazards of my chosen profession. I will always endeavor to uphold the prestige, honor, and higher esprit de corps of my Ranger Regiment. So he got flashbacks off of that. But anyway, guys, get on your feet as we welcome uh, Major General Kurt Fuller, what a what a what a loud and thunderous hoo hoo! Thanks, buddy. No, you keep that. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Please sit down. Don't be holding out on me. Well, hey, thanks, Sherman. I just want to do another acknowledgement of this worship team. Do you, you know the difference between a good worship team and a really great one? The great one, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he was here. Now, I just saw a really neat meme. It really caught my attention. It started out, I think it was on somebody's hat, and it said, We the people. And it was in the same script that you see in our Declaration of Independence, right? But it says, we the people are pissed off. <laughs> and you know what, guys? I'm, I'm a little bit pissed off. 
Because, see, in 2001, I could have retired with over 20 years of service and a full pension. But instead of that, I spent the next 15 years in an army at war. And you know what? It wasn't anything like the little contingency operations we had done during the Cold War, like Sherman mentioned Grenada and Panama, even Desert Storm. It was 100 hours, and it was over or the Balkans, or any of that other stuff. No, this was full-out, knock-down, drag-out combat, and some of you guys in the room here were involved in that, and you know what I'm talking about. I lost 34 of my men in the first year, and that was just the beginning of the carnage that we would see. And back then, if you'd have asked me what was the greatest threat to U.S. national security and the survival of our republic, I would have immediately answered without any reservations, it's Islam. Terrorism, a counterfeit religion based on hate and warfare. It has its own legal code called Sharia, and it is a radical and totalitarian form of government that's embedded in the religion itself. Yeah, these people were clearly out to destroy us, and I believe they had the means to do so. But you know what? I was wrong. Islam never can and never will destroy America. You see... I went off to war with an understanding that Americans all shared a common set of values and that we all had an appreciation of American history that clearly shows why this country stands out from all others in history. I believed that Americans were dedicated to freedom and liberty and that our elected leaders were just as committed to supporting and defending the Constitution as I was. But after I hung up my uniform, I suddenly learned that all of that had changed. While I was away at war, and now the situation continues to deteriorate, and you all see it. Government power has been centralized in Washington, D.C., And the constitutional limited and enumerated powers are a joke now. We have a staggering and seemingly unstoppable growth in the national debt. And our country just keeps printing money with nothing to back it up. We have corrupt and unaccountable career politicians whose only goal is re-election and the acquisition of more power. We have the worst economy in over 40 years, and the decline is just beginning. Our leaders have weaponized government agencies, and they directed their powers at conservatives who opposed their power grab. We have an untruthful and untrustworthy media. There's rampant fraud in our elections at every level. There's sexual perversion and the radical LGBTQ++ whatever it is agenda is promoted and celebrated both by our government officials and citizens. Constitutional liberties are under constant attack. Lawlessness is out of control in most of our major cities. We've got a completely unprotected open southern border that even the UN says is one of the most dangerous in the world. There are massive suicide epidemic going on, and that's added to that is a raging problem with drug addiction and with uh, human trafficking. Our military is being emasculated and is replacing its best and strongest warriors with men and women who can't even tell what gender they are and who burst into tears over a few harsh words. And you know what? My entire time in uniform, 36 years, race was never an issue. Never. We were all O.D. Green. And now race seems to be the issue. 
that everybody's got to talk about all the time instead of how do we prepare for the next war. It gets me fired up, guys. The lifeblood of America, which is our oil and natural gas industry, is under attack under this guise of climate change. I can give you some stats on that, but I'll just give you one to, you know, just think about this. They say carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is causing global warming, right? You've all heard them say it. You know how much carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere? Four one-hundredths of one percent. 400 parts per million. So how can an increase in CO2 do anything to the global climate? It can't. This is all a lie designed to turn the green energy thing into a big money-making machine and crush America's economy by taking away our economic power, which is our natural resources, always has been. The greatest threat to our republic was right under our noses all along. And it's hiding in plain sight. It was. Now it's popped right out in the open. They're not even trying to hide it, are they? They're, they're boldly proclaiming this is what I intend to do. And as I said earlier, Islam never could have and never will destroy America. But the words that Abraham Lincoln spoke way back in 1861 they just reverberate through time and land right on top of us right here today. And here's what he said. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. Make no mistake, the globalist one world order government horde is at our gates and they intend to destroy us. They create chaos and instill fear to seize control. And this is all intentional. And it's all part of a really well-worn and well-thought-out strategy to displace America as the world's superpower. And so, you know, you got to ask yourself, why is all this happening? Especially just so quickly. Well, you might take a look at biblical prophecy. Bring up that first slide, if you would. This is out of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. World leaders are furious that they have to obey God's laws and it, because it prevents them from enjoying and profiting in their corruption and sinfulness and disobedience. They think they can cancel God and they can break away from his kingdom. Rebellion against God and his law are the centerpiece of everything we're seeing in our society right now. Today we have elected leaders in power who are in open rebellion against God and they're creating policies and passing legislation that not only attack our Constitution, but they are in clear violation of the word and will of God. The most wicked of all these lies that the ones in power want us to believe is that there is not an almighty God in heaven who is the king and he's the lawmaker and he's the judge. He is in complete control of history. Every year our government creates new so-called rights. You can't even, I mean, the list is so long now you couldn't even keep track of them all. I mean, we got a right to health care. We got a right to free college education. The government's going to pay for everything, right? Well, you're going to pay for it. They're going to take the credit for it. But the bottom line is, 
when they create a new right, they erase a reality that our founders pledged their lives, their fortune, and their sacred honor to. And that is this, that the rights of men come from God Almighty, not from a government. They aren't assigned by anybody in the government. And our government is the American people themselves, not some group of self-important bureaucrats up in the nation's capital. These are people who want to radically transform America, and they have no appreciation of our history. In fact, they're doing everything they can to erase it. They are anti-Christian. They are anti-Constitution, and therefore, they are anti-American. So you look at the news today, I mean, it's, it's complete turmoil, right? I mean, we see it. I can't even stand to watch the news anymore. Wars, terrorism, persecution, sexual perversion, lawlessness, racial tensions, biased media, drought, mass human migration, human trafficking, pandemics, famine, and the reaction of God, the rejection of God, that's all you kind of hear about nowadays. And you know what? It's enough to make you a little bit disheartened and think that we're beyond hope. But that's another lie straight from the pit of hell. In Matthew 24, bringing that up, Jesus warned us that these are the birth pangs that will set the conditions for a one-world government with, and religion with the Antichrist in charge. He told us, go home and study Matthew 24. Understand what Jesus is telling us here. Then read Revelation and learn about the great end times events and the seal and trumpet and bold judgments. You need to understand that everything we're seeing on the earth today was prophesied long, long ago. There are almost twice as many books in the Bible written about Christ's second coming as there are about his first. And you know what? There's a reason for that. The Lord wants us to know and understand what's happening so that we don't become discouraged or feel defeated when it begins to happen. God gave us all the tools we need to be overcomers. And overcomers mentioned seven times in Revelation, each with a different great reward to those who remain faithful and obedient during the greatest period of suffering and terror in history. In fact, prophecy shows that while all this evil is happening, we will experience the greatest and most powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit in human history. And along with it, the greatest number of new believers the world has ever seen. Hallelujah. The Lord told us it's going to happen. And we all pray we need a great revival in America. We need another great awakening. How could that be prevented with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's 10x the power that we saw on, at uh, Pentecost? It's going to blow up, people, and we're all here. We're going to be part of it. And you know what? The Bible isn't our only source of knowledge about this kind of evil, even though it's obviously the best. We can learn from history. And Bill Federer here has taught me this, and I've learned a lot of stuff from him by reading about history. Because this kind of treachery and malicious sabotage of governments has happened many, many times over this last century. In fact, it's been going on since the time of Plato. From 1947 to 1991, 45 countries fell to communism, or whatever name applied at the time, whether it's Marxism, Socialism, Socialism Nazism, they're all the same. They're all totalitarian. 45 countries in less than 50 years all part of Satan's plan to take control of all the governments of the earth. And you know what? They use this exact same template every time. And it's the same one they're using on us right now. And we're not 
A lot of people apparently aren't smart enough to recognize it. The first step is they got to find groups with grievances. In a, in, in, in a lot of places, they used economic status as that. So they got the poor people angry at the rich people and vice versa, wrecked the middle class, and then got them into war. Well, they realized that's not going to work in America because the poorest people in America are rich compared to the rich people in third world countries. So they said, we're going to go after race. Race will work. And they started it. And they've been running with this for almost 30 years now, getting racial animosity built up all across the country. And then they also realized, hey, we got another one we can use here in America. They watched what happened in Northern Ireland. They realized, hey, we can get the Catholics fighting the Protestants. And, hey, let's get all the Protestant denominations fighting each other while we're at it. Matter of fact, you want, I could start the biggest fight you've ever seen by talking about one Protestant uh, belief, uh, doctrinal principle. You know what it is? When's the rapture? <laughs> is it before the tribulation, during it, or after it? And if I take a position on that, I'll guarantee you two-thirds of you will attack me, no matter what the position is. Am I right? All right, that's all part of the plan. They, they, they're really good at this. All right, once they've got these grievances going, they get groups organized and they start to protest about the grievances. You guys remember back to Wall, Occupy Wall Street movement, test balloon, will it work? Will they let us get away with it? Will law enforcement shut us down? No, they didn't. They did let them get away with it. Then you had Ferguson, Missouri. Let's do another test balloon. And now before you know it, this last summer it was BLM and Antifa blowing up things all over the place, lighting police stations on fire, wrecking city halls, you name it. And the law enforcement did nothing. So they've got that in place. Now they, they escalate the riots and, and protests until there's bloodshed involved. That allows the government to step in. Then they bribe and threaten and co-opt the media to get them to tell the wrong side of the story, to lie about what's really happening. And then finally they organize a coup or a rigged election and they take over the government. Forty-five times in 50 years they've done it the exact same way every time. And do you recognize any of that as something that might be going on in the United States of America right now? I hope you do. So, now the current enemy has gotten so emboldened that they've actually modified and supercharged that original strategy. And they added a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of other elements to make things even worse and to accelerate the downfall of the government, make it happen faster. One, silence the church and sideline Christians. Indoctrinate our youth to believe that government can replace God. Squelch the freedom of speech and take control of the media. Destroy the nuclear family. Make mothers and children dependent upon the government. Con confiscate guns and means for everyone to resist. Ruthlessly attack any opponents that pop up. Call them all kinds of names. We're supposedly all phobic, have some phobia. I'm an Islamophobic, homophobic, I don't know. I probably got 50 of those tags. <laughs> I'm not afraid of any of those people. Then they create crisis. They destroy the economy intentionally. They convince the population to surrender liberty for security. They control elections. They rewrite history. They make people dependent on the government for their very survival. They redistribute wealth. And they expand the government until the states and the citizens can no longer interfere. So what are we going to do about it? Well, the scripture tells us some things uh, that we know are about to happen. 
But I'll tell you this, God is not done with the United States of America. Without us, we're still the most generous country on the planet. We fund mission trips all over the world. The Great Commission will be completed in our generation because of American money. Remember what the scriptures say, though. Bring that next one up, please. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We just got to pray and he'll fix it. Right? I love that Misty Edwards song. You guys, some of you have heard of The Lion of Judah. She says, he's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave, and he's not staying in heaven forever. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. People get ready. Jesus is coming. But the biblical prophecies concerning the end times are there so that we won't be surprised and offended when we see all these things begin to happen. And they're happening right now. But don't get offended. Don't get scared. Don't feel defeated. If we know in advance that these events are all part of God's master plan and that he's in complete control, we can prepare ourselves so that we can not only survive, we can be victorious in the days to come. Jesus will come back and he will lead an undefeatable army of both angels and resurrected Christians that will completely destroy evil forever. And he's going to establish an eternal kingdom right here on planet earth where he is the king. He's going to renew all things, and he's going to make our lives just like the great God in heaven intended it to be before Satan got involved and messed everything up. But he won't demand our love and our allegiance. Every human still has to make a choice to accept the love and mercy of the Lord. And Satan knows that his time is short, and he's going to use his demonic army and demonically controlled humans to inflict as much damage on God's creation as he can. He'll employ deception and fear to shut us up and to shut down the church as he wrecks as many souls as he can. When the, this historic outpouring of resurrection power comes onto the church at the same time he's trying to do this, the nations will rage. The word says it will reach a level of incredible intensity. That's why we need to live with a different worldview. And that's an understanding of the constant spiritual warfare that's happening all around us all the time. We can't see it, but we can feel it, and we know it's happening. We are at war, and our war isn't against flesh. It's against the supernatural evil forces of the kingdom of darkness. You all know this, Ephesians. When we receive salvation, each of us enlisted in God's army. And you know what? He expects us to fight. As soldiers in the army of God, we've got to understand and use all the weapons that we've been given to achieve a victory over evil. We're ordered to put on the full armor of God. And while this protects us from attacks, it also includes offensive weapons for the purpose of taking back ground from the enemy. Yep, our tactics have to become offensive, and we've got to attack evil. Listen to this. You know the verse where Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That language he used doesn't describe defensive tactics. 
It doesn't, that's not defending ourselves from an evil onslaught. No, he's clearly talking about attacking the gates of hell. I don't have time tonight to get into all the weapons and tactics that are available to every one of us that are saved. As long as we're obedient to God's will and word, we cannot lose. But if you don't have a clear understanding of those tactics and, and weapons, I urge you to study it and, and, and start to learn how to do that. Find someone to mentor you and teach you. But I do want to take a minute and explain a key component of Satan's strategy that keeps us pinned down and ineffective. And that is fear. Now, I believe I'm a subject matter expert on fear. I spent six years in combat. I got two combat jumps from 500 feet. One, we didn't even have reserve parachutes. We were under anti-aircraft fire all the way to the ground and then under mortar and machine gun fire for the rest of that day. You know, I've been shot at with every modern weapon on the battlefield except a pistol. Go figure. I counted 23 times that I should have got killed. And I, I mean, this was supernatural intervention by God. That's the only thing that kept me alive. And my men told me that. 23 times the Lord spared me. And that taught me not to be afraid of death. And it strengthened my faith that God was always there with me. You know, Stonewall Jackson once said, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. He said, God has fixed the time of my death, and I don't concern myself with that, but always to be ready, no matter when it may overtake me. And then he said, this is the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. Satan uses fear constantly in our daily lives. That's, that's his number one method of attack. Fear of death is obviously the greatest fear common to mankind, but there are lots of others. Fear of failure, fear of not having enough, and you can fill in the blank on whatever that is, enough money, enough food, enough drinking water. Fear of rejection, of humiliation, of loss, of sickness, of harm. And fear is the source of guilt and shame and a whole bunch of other negative emotions that Satan uses to trip us up all the time. You know, in his wisdom, the Lord gave us a little preview of what happens when irrational fear that's fanned by an onslaught of lies and deception, what happens when that overtakes people on a global scale. And you know what I'm talking about, COVID-19. A little virus with a 99.9% sur .9 survival rate, and it shut down the productivity of the entire planet for almost two years. And it was all based on fear. Now, you would expect that a virus that had that kind of a mortality rate that they were telling us would have caused a big spike in the death rate. And you know what? It didn't. Death rate in 2020 was the same as it was for the last four years before that. No change at all, except there was an 88% decrease in the amount of deaths from influenza. Fear of sickness and death caused us to willingly sacrifice our liberties in exchange for a hope that dramatic restrictions would protect us. <clears throat> you know what Benjamin Franklin said about that? They that can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Amen. Amen. Yes. 
You know, there are two things in common about this fear the devil tries to stick us with. One of them is that they're no good for us. It's no good for us. And it's counter to God's word, which I'm going to show you in a minute. And second, most of those fears are, again, irrational. It's crazy. What are you afraid of? So let's unpack it a little more. I will say before I do, though, that there is a kind of fear that's good, and that's fear of the Lord. You know, it says it all through the Scripture. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. It's healthy and allows us to praise God, Psalm 22.23. And the fear of God cancels out all other fears. Fear of the Lord is the only kind of fear that the devil can't use against you. It's the reverent awe that comes from the knowledge of God, of his power, his sovereignty, and his majesty. This intimate knowledge of God is the foundation we need to deal with fear in the world. This fear that's all around us. You know, there's a lot in Scripture about fear. In fact, almost every chapter in the Bible mentions fear. To really understand it, you've got to look at the words and example of Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus said, do not fear more than any other thing he said? And the way he said it was in the form of a command. He wasn't giving advice, oh, don't fear. He was commanding us, do not fear. It's important. You know, when Jesus uh, equated fear with a lack of faith. Remember that story where they're in the boat, they're crossing the sea, and the disciples, he's sleeping. And this big storm rolls in. The disciples freak out, wake him up. Hey, Jesus, we're all going to die. This storm's killing us. Well, Jesus rebuked the storm, calmed the waters, and then what did he say? He asked the disciples, Why are you afraid, O men of little faith? Man, I'd hate to have the Lord tell me something like that. And there are lots of times when he said, fear not, only believe. How about this verse from Hebrews? It's chapter 2, uh, verse 14 and 15. I love this one. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Think about that a minute. It tells us fear of death cheapens the sacrifice Jesus made for us. If he did all that to destroy the power of death and then we still allow fear to have some kind of control over us, we're really messing it up, guys. Think about how much that grieves our Father in heaven to see that his son sacrificed his life so that we could be free of the bondage of fear, and now we're running around cowering over little stuff in life, afraid of some virus. No. You know what? There's no such thing as an absence of fear. It's always there. John Wayne had a great quote. He said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Yeah, I've been there. We got to train ourselves to ignore fear and learn how to overcome it if we want to be effective spiritual warriors. Overcoming fear requires courage, and you can only get that courage from the certainty of your salvation and eternal life. You know, 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It tells us the, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. Hate's just a byproduct of the fear. And fear is caused by a lack of love. 
John also tells us that he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Taken together, I think everything the Scripture says about this makes it clear that fear of anything but God is a sin. And it's a sin that damages our relationship with the Lord and with each other. And it also gives the devil ammunition that he can use against us. Given that fear is a part of human nature, how do you stay free of it? Well, the first step is you've got to immediately recognize that this kind of fear isn't coming from the Lord. And if it's not from him, then it's got to be from Satan. And if it's from him, then we surely understand why we don't want to hold in on to anything from that source. When fear, fear, fearful thoughts enter your mind, you should just turn it to the Lord. You know, the Bible says, take them captive to the obedience of Christ. Give it to God let him deal with it. And keep in perspective that you're going to live for eternity. Paul said, to die is gain. Compared to time without end, a wash in the love and the joy of the Lord, these little present-day fears and problems, are, they're temporary, they're small, and they're not important. Not at all. Embrace the fact that you're already dead. My life verse I picked up in 2001, well, 2002 on the battlefield, is Galatians 2.20. You know what it says? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. If you can walk in that kind of, I embrace that and that I feel that all day, what are you afraid of? Your old life that you lived in the flesh is gone, and now you put your physical life in the hands of Jesus, and everything that happens from now on is in preparation for your future in the kingdom of God and eternal life spent with the king of kings. When I was in combat, I never was afraid that we might lose a fight with the enemy. Anytime we were engaged by the bad guys, my men, they were trained to react violently. And we didn't have, if we didn't have enough firepower, we knew all we had to do was bring more. We'd call up another squad or another platoon or a company. We'd bring up, call in mortar or artillery fire, call in attack helicopters or close air support. We were not going to get beat. Even if it came down to it, we'd call in the quick reaction force and bring a whole other element into bear. And with the ability to rapidly bring that kind of firepower forward, we knew that we could never lose a fight. There, there's a battle drill for this. It's called battle drill number one, react to contact. Some of you guys are very familiar with it. The Army has these drills. Some of them are individual. Some of them are small unit. But they're designed that you practice them over and over and over again. And there's so much repetition involved that soon it becomes instinct. And when you have to execute this drill, every member of the team can do it without thinking for a second, without even getting an order from their leader. It just happens. Battle drill number one, react to contact, is one of them. Setting the conditions for these drills, uh, the first one is you should never leave the wire without your armor and without good, good communications. I'm going to use that again in a minute. But the first step of battle drill number one is recognize that you're under attack. Can you imagine a bunch of soldiers standing around with their hands in their pockets out there in Afghanistan somewhere, and the Taliban starts hammering them, shooting heavy machine guns, RPGs, you name it, and they don't do anything? They don't even know, well, I, they, they don't realize they're being shot at? 
I think you'd die pretty quickly. <laughs> Recognize you're under attack. Seek cover and return fire. Gain fire superiority. That means we've got so much bullets going down range on those guys, they cannot get up and move. They can't raise their heads to shoot at us, and they are pinned down, ineffective. And once you've got them in that situation, you attack. You assault them. Take them out. The same principles apply in spiritual warfare. Put on the full armor of God. Never leave the wire without your armor. Ensure you're always in contact with the Holy Spirit. Make sure you got a good combo check before you leave. Know when you're being attacked. When the devil jumps on you, a lot of times we're unaware of it. Okay, how many of you guys had a great week? Everything went perfect all week long. Family's all great. Everybody's happy. And all of a sudden, Sunday morning, you get up and all hell breaks loose. Somebody says something, somebody said, uh, responds to that. Next thing you know, there's a big cataclysmic cat fight going on in the, in the breakfast table. And somebody says, well, you know what? I don't even feel like going to church today now. Where do you think that came from? <laughs> what? You're under attack. You got to recognize it. All right. Then you've got to cover yourself with prayer. You use prayer as a weapon. Attack with it. Not only to protect yourself and your family and whoever else is involved, but use it to attack. That's calling in fire support. Get the mortars and the artillery. Get the Apaches. Get the strike eagles. Some big bombs. I want some 2,000 pounders. Call up all your buddies and tell them that you're being attacked and you need them to start praying for you right now. And then keep it up until the enemy breaks off his attack, and he will. Resist the devil, and he will flee. And use the authority that Jesus delegated to us to then overrun his position. Get him completely out of your house. Tell him he's not authorized to be there. You know, when we were in Baghdad in 2003, 2004, right when the thing was kicking off, we rolled into Baghdad, and, the, and I was a brigade commander in the 82nd, and we had that big double-A patch, all Americans. You could see it from all the way across this building. And the insurgents very quickly learned not to shoot at guys wearing that patch because we were in Baghdad with a whole bunch of armored dudes, 1st Armored Division. They were all heavy metal tankers and stuff. You could shoot at them, and they'd just keep driving. You shoot at us, we're coming off of our vehicles, and we're coming after you. And we're going to keep piling on with more and more paratroopers until we finally either capture you or kill you, and we're going to do it that way every single time you shoot at us. That's what I told my men to do, and that's what they did. And you know what? They just stopped shooting at us. They shot at everybody else, but they wouldn't shoot at the double-A patch because they knew what was going to happen next. And you know what? If you get yourself in a, in, a, in a groove where every time the enemy attacks you, you do the exact same thing. You run straight to Jesus with it. He is going to stop attacking you. He's going to go find some other easier target. Make it a pattern in reacting that way every time you get attacked by any little bit of slime. And believe me, I've been slimed by some heavy stuff. I think some people know the story of me being attacked by a principality in Afghanistan, tried to kill me, terrorized me, got inside of my head, almost blew me up. But thank you, Jesus. I said his word, his name. I said the name Jesus, and that thing was gone. And you know what? Doesn't matter what language you use. What language you call Jesus' name out in, the devil's going to respond to it. He's going to turn tail. Now, even when you're scared and you think you're about to die, remember what God says about you. Sometimes 
We don't add all this up. Let me kind of give you a running tally. This is what God says about every one of us. You're a beloved son. You've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. You're a member of his royal family. You're destined to reign with Christ for eternity. You're a representative of God and his kingdom here on earth. You've been granted eternal life. You've been given all the authority and the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You are redeemed, sealed, purchased, and blessed. You're loved, chosen, forgiven, and saved. And you've been made alive and you've been raised up. And you know what? Another thing you should always keep in mind, which a lot of people, I mean, it's true. This is the deal. This war has already been won. Jesus already beat them. they, They lost. And you know, when he comes back to throw them all out, he's not even going to break a sweat in the effort. If you have faith to believe that you'll spend eternity in a resurrected, perfect body in a place where there isn't any death, no disease, no sorrow, and more importantly, no evil, then how in the heck could you be afraid to die? I'll close up by asking you to consider just one thing here. Something that ought to blow you away. It does me every time I think about it. But there is nothing that you can do that will make our Father in heaven love you any more than he already does. And there is nothing you can do that could ever make him love you any less than he already does. He loves us so much, I think he has to regulate how much of his love we get exposed to. You know why? Because it's so pure, and it's so holy, and it's so powerful, and it's so limitless that our mortal human bodies would blow up if he gave us a big dose of it. But you know what? We're going to spend eternity overflowing with it, because we're going to have a different body that can take it all. Now we're at a critical decision point. You've got to either choose to follow Christ or follow the Antichrist. Are you going to fight a defensive battle or are you going to go on the offense? Are you going to be an overcomer or are you going to let yourself get defeated, knocked down? Are you going to be a patriot or a traitor? I got complete confidence that America still has enough Christian patriots that are willing to fight for the moral and biblical values that allowed us to found this great nation and to sustain it through all our different trials and troubles. But to accomplish it, we've got to become more active and more vigilant and employ the same power that raised Jesus from the grave to defeat the forces of evil that are at work here in our country. Now, I'd ask you all, take a minute, please, and just bow your head and close your eyes. Now, nobody's looking. I want, if any of you have never given your life to Jesus, I'd like you to raise your hand. Just slip it up there in the air so I can see it. Okay, good. Now, if any of you have given your life to Jesus but have gotten off the rails and feel like you're running down the wrong track, and you're having some real struggles with life, and you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, please slip your hand up, because we're going to pray for you. Okay, I see your hands back there. You can put them down. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Now, if there's anybody in here who has been beat down by fear and can't seem to break free. Maybe fear's even got a stronghold on you in some area of your life. I'd like you guys to raise your hands. Just slip them up so we can see. Okay, here we go. We got some there over here. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Now, uh, Pastor Mark, can I get some of your elders up here? And I'd ask you guys to raise your hands. Please just come up here because we're going to pray for you. Uh, we'll do that whenever the time's appropriate. I'm turning it back over to you. But you saw their response.
Can we give the Lord a praise? Thank you so much, General. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we've heard the word of the Lord tonight. I tell you, there's a fire burning in me. I, I just feel like saying, we the people are pissed off. Glory to God. It's time, and it's happening. The men of God are rising up in this nation. You know, as the general was talking, and we're going to give everybody that raised their hand the opportunity to come up in just a moment, but as he was talking, I was thinking about how God, in the Old Testament, no matter what the situation was, most of the time it got to the impossible place of ever seeing a turnaround. And so this is a, not a time for us to be discouraged. You know, I never made a conscious decision to quit watching the news. It just, I had no desire to watch it. It was nothing but a bunch of lies, smoke and mirrors and deception. And if you watch it, you have a tendency, your natural mind to think, Boy, this country's done. It's over. But it's not. Not with our history. And by the way, I just want to point out, you know, this Sunday morning, we're going to have Bill Federer minister to us, and it's going to be so good. He is here tonight with his son, Michael. Would y'all stand up, Bill and Michael? Just give him a warm welcome. So good to have them with us. But it's men like... Bill Federer and David Barton, that I go back and, and in all natural circumstances, it should have been over for this country, and God comes through. The Red Sea, here they are with two to three million disgruntled Jews. They're mad, and you've got the dust from the hoofbeats of Pharaoh, and the Lord says, come on, stretch out your, divide those waters. What about Gideon? Gideon was outnumbered before they ever started, and the Lord said, well, we got a problem. There's too many of you. Even though they were already outnumbered, 132,000 to 35,000, the Lord took it to 300. And then Abraham, Lord, if there's this many righteous and that many righteous and 10 righteous, and I tell you, we've got enough in this room to change this country. We could turn this thing around, and I'll tell you, we've been given some marching orders tonight, and I, I believe we had an impartation. I just so appreciate our military and our armed forces. Can we give all of you men that served, thank you, by the blessing of the Lord. I just, with this that was imparted to us tonight, I'm telling you, this is so rich. I'm already ready to watch the message again. But I just received this tonight. I want us to just lift our hands up, if we could, and just as an act of surrender, and let's acknowledge this, and let's ask the Holy Spirit that this word that was given to us tonight, that we receive it, and we will take it, we will run with it, and Father, we thank you for tonight, this word that you brought through your servant. And Lord, we receive it. We thank you that, Lord, even though our enemies are many, you are a warrior. And no weapon formed against us can prosper. And Lord, even though this nation has not been faithful, you have been and you are. And you didn't bring us this far to drop us off, to let us go to the enemy. I thank you, Lord that you have a people right now that are rising up. Thank you for the men in this room and in this house. That prophetic word that this house would be strong by reason of the men. Lord, we receive it and we are not waiting on it. We will rise up and bring it to pass by the empowerment of your spirit. Lord, we thank you for your servant tonight, General Fuller, and we just stretch our hands to him, and we bless him and his family and all that he sets his hands to, his house, their health, their finances, everything about them. And I thank you, Lord, that his most important service to this country 
are in the days ahead. We thank you for how he has served and how vital it has been and was and is to this country, but we thank you his best days are ahead. And Lord, I thank you for every man in this room, and we thank you, Father, that you bring to pass your will in our lives in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen. Can we give one more praise to the Lord tonight? God bless all of you. Let's stand up on our feet. Now listen, if you raised your hand, these men of God up here are ready to pray. I want you to make your way. Listen, Bill Federer has a word for us on Sunday morning. I'm telling you, I got to visit last night and we had dinner and it was so awesome and we're talking and it's going to be an impartation of faith. And then also, Pastor Calvin, uh, y'all are going to be out and get your uh, transformation project. You know all this stuff going on in our city with the murders and the crime out of control? Let's, let's say no, no more, not on our watch. And we're going to keep adopting city streets and praying for them. We're going to put a stop to this stuff so you can sign up out in the hallways, get you a band, and just remember to pray. And uh, I'm going to pray once more. And then, men, you that lifted your hand, make your way up here. And, Father, we thank you tonight for this word, for everything, for every man that's here tonight. Lord, I thank you there's more ministry to come. Lord, as they come forward to pray, thank you, Lord, that we're two or three agree as touching anything that they should ask, it shall be done. So Lord, I bless these men as we go tonight. I'm praying that you'll bless our travels, bless our families, our loved ones, our health and our strength, and we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody shouted amen. God bless you.